Welcome to Energy Thinks, a podcast about how the oil and gas industry will lead into the energy future. I'm Tisha Schuler, your host and the CEO of Adamantine Energy. This season, I'm sitting down with thought leaders in and around the oil and gas industry to look at the competing trends of ESG, anti-ESG, all with an eye to what's coming around the corner so that companies can chart a course that's nimble and enduring without being reactionary. So today's show is really fun. I speak with Guy Babbitt. He's co-founder and CEO of C0. He has a BS from the University of Vermont, an MS from the University of Michigan, and a PhD from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, all in mechanical engineering. He also has a master's in electrical engineering from Madison. For the first several months of C0 taking off, he was also the acting engineering director of Solix Biofuels. Before founding C0, Guy served as the technical coordinator at Sturman Industries and also worked at General Motors. You can learn more about Guy's biography in our show notes. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Guy Babbitt. Guy Babbitt, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on the Energy Thanks podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. We've known each other for quite some years now, and I wanted to talk to you because I want to spend some time exploring the lessons learned on the cutting edge of decarbonization associated with oil and gas. And this is a, a geeky topic, which is a compliment coming from me. And But you're a person that can translate challenges and very technical things into things our audience of oil and gas leaders will be familiar with and can understand. So I'm hoping you can tell our audience a little bit about C0, the work you're doing, and what you find most promising for the energy future. Sure. Yeah. And thanks again for having me. As a little background, C0, we're a 16-year-old engineering service slash contract R&D company. We're located in Fort Collins, Colorado, and there's 30 some odd of us there. We work on typically early stage engineering projects and our North Star are projects that reduce energy consumption and emissions. And in that regard, we're, we're very agnostic. We're not trying to drive to one solution. We, in fact, we believe there's going to be a portfolio of solutions, but we help our clients develop those technologies. We don't have any technologies that we are marketing or selling, but we're, again, it's strictly a service company. So over the years, we've done about over 350 projects. Our customers are Department of Energy, Department of Defense, universities, national labs, companies of all sizes, including startups. That's a little bit of background on us as a company. You know, we see multiple pathways to getting to a cleaner future. One of the ways we strive right out of the box is efficiency. If you don't uh, need to use that energy, then we don't have to worry about the negative consequences of that. So a lot of our work is in that area. Our background is originally transportation, even though we work in a lot of different areas. As we start to expand out of that, then we are going to need those energy sources. So then you start to look at cleaner ways of extracting that and transporting, utilizing that. So, you know, an example project we're working right now is on reducing methane slip, something that, you know, everyone's aware of and is, is very important. So how do you modify those compression engines and reduce the slip? So we're doing a project through the Department of Energy with Marquette University, University of Wisconsin, and Molly Powertrain. We do believe that renewables are going to be a, a big part of it. You know, you already see penetration there with wind and solar really excited about some of the long duration storage stuff coming up. 
So we're working on some electrochemical projects there and see some real promise there. And then I think carbon sequestration will be part of the solution as well. So I'm imagining an office in Fort Collins, 30 engineers with a contract R&D mission to you know reduce energy consumption and emissions. And I sort of imagine this is like engineering Disneyland. Like this is the really like delightful, fun place that engineers get to go. Um, do I have that right? Yeah. <laughs> is it is it engineering Disneyland? Because it just sounds so fun to have that breadth of exposure. Yeah, you you are a geek and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our engineers absolutely love the wide diversity of projects we get to work on. It really is a wide portfolio of projects, but you, you are right. There's a, so we have a 16,000 square foot facility, which allows us to build and make prototypes there. The engineers, one of the main, we are continually probing our engineers, what's good about C0, what do we need to work on? And what we hear as one of the big attraction is just the, the, the really challenging, hard projects in this space. And for me personally, I've had absolutely more fun since I started this company, all the things I get to learn about and get to work on, it is kid in a candy store. Yeah, and it speaks to the the opportunity of energy transition as individuals, as companies. Like there is no scenario we're all going to be doing the same thing we were doing five years ago, or that we'll be doing the same things in five years that we're doing today. So let's go from the wide aperture down to really looking at oil and gas and oil and gas. We call it oil and gas adjacent. So anything that might be within the core capabilities of oil and gas. So we're thinking hydrogen, CCS, geothermal, and maybe even some of this chemical stuff like long duration storage, maybe. I don't know. But I'm curious, when we help companies navigate world. We're out of the time where you can just set an aspirational goal and leave it on a piece of paper. Companies now have to invest and they have to be thinking about the durability of their business. They have to manage their core business today and they have to be betting on things that could essentially be profitable and successful in the long time. And that's how we think about real sustainability is the difference between just being aspirational and tying these efforts to your core business. Where do you see the most promise for oil and gas in either adapting their base business or use or 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 building capabilities in these oil and gas adjacent arenas. And, I, and I'm really thinking about scale. Where do you see the potential for scale in, in, that's in or, or around oil and gas? I mean, I think there's a, a ton of opportunities, right? And I, and I do think, you know, you hear the, the talk about transitioning from oil and gas to energy companies, right? And I think I think that's part of the key that is, you know, expanding the portfolio to be things that traditionally wouldn't be part of their portfolio. I think there's a lot of work to be done just to help on the transition with existing stuff, right? We talked about, you know, sort of cleaning up how business is being done just with the methane leaks, waste gas recovery and, and collecting uh, venting of wells and stuff like that. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I think there's also, you know, you sort of adjust in the portfolio, right? So we know that LNG uses, you know, substantially or, you know, is substantially less carbon intensive than oil and certainly than coal. So I think, again, sort of tweaking that a bit. I've said it before, but I really do believe there's no one 
solution. It's just going to be an absolute portfolio of solutions. What works in passenger cars is going to be very different than trucks and, of course, marine and aviation. So you're going to need to have all those things. And, and I think you, you, know, you hit a lot of them, right? We are doing quite a bit of work in hydrogen right now, everything from generation to compression to processing. I think CCS is, is going to be a, a part of it for sure. We're doing a couple of projects there. Well, there's a lot of skeptics, for example. There's still, I think, really smart people who say hydrogen, not going to happen. Do you see a world where hydrogen could play in a significant role at scale in the energy transition? Yeah, absolutely. I think like a lot of these things, it's, you know, it's a bit of a wave right now. So I think, is hydrogen going to be the thing that does everything? Probably not. But if you do look at, for certain things, people transportation, there are certain things, over-the-road trucks, long-haul, that makes a lot of sense. Toyota is, is really doubling down on it at the past car level, which I just don't fully understand. Not saying I, I, I disagree with them, but I'm just saying I don't fully understand that because I, I really do think a battery for past car is pretty well taken care of and understood. So one of the areas we've identified that oil and gas companies face unique challenges is in how they go about investing in R&D, in innovation. What have you seen in your work with companies in particular? Do you have any advice or, or sort of practical lessons learned about what companies should invest in, what they shouldn't invest in, how they should structure or think about or manage those investments? And really, I'm like, of course, without naming names, but we're really look, looking to skip steps by saying like, these are a few things that, that we've seen that don't work, or these are a few things we've seen that do work and how companies engage and manage their investments and innovation. I think I can answer that somewhat, but you know, probably the thing I should throw is we tend to be a little bit more on the early stage R and D side. So we're by the time people are really doubling down on that, that's kind of uh, typically left our world and is a little bit higher TRL level. But that said, absolutely preaching the choir here, I'm sure. But it all comes down to costs, right? So most of the things we look at tend to work technically, but they struggle to make the dollars work, right? And then of course. If you start to look at incentives, those can really skew those numbers. So, you know, I have to believe for those people making the decision, it's a pretty challenging landscape when you don't really know what those are going to look like. The other thing we've seen a couple of times is, you know, there may be an emerging technology that people are pretty excited about. And, and that part of the technology may actually reduce cost or have performance advantages or hopefully both. But sometimes people don't look at the overall system cost, or they do, but probably not as close as they are. And we've been involved in quite a few projects where it is looking really promising, but by the time you get through it all and look at all the balance of plant, there can be a lot more overall system costs than there. So I think doing some of those techno-economic analyses earlier on that are also pretty well integrated with the engineering can be really important. And then the last thing which I've really seen is that it is really a fast moving technical landscape is really changing, right? So we are seeing technical advances make stuff possible that just wasn't even possible a few years ago. And probably a great example I'll use, and it is one area that I'm pretty excited about, is 3D metal printing, right? So when most people hear 3D printing and stuff like that, they're they're just focusing on speed. I don't have to make a mold or anything. But what I get excited about is, especially in the metal arena, is it allows you to make complex geometries and shapes 
that allow you to do things you couldn't before. And in the energy space, the thing that just stands out is, is heat exchangers. So now you can make very complex integrated heat exchangers that make systems possible that just weren't even five years ago. And we're working on projects that are just leveraging that. And it can be game-changing. There's so much acceleration in the rate of change. One of the takeaways I took from what you said, in addition to optimism, is that speed is of the essence in terms of evaluating. You don't want to be working on something that is like instantly outdated because it's surpassed by something else. Is that true? Or is it actually the opposite that something that might not be economic today could be economic tomorrow because someone else comes up with an intervening step that makes it more affordable and more scalable? I think it could be either one of those at any time. You do have to be paying attention and moving fast, right? You know, you were asking me lessons learned. You know, the other area we did quite a bit of work on offshore subsea deep well work. You know, there I think some of the 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 challenges is some of those larger corporations, they have very methodical ways of moving forward. And some of times those can get in the way of adopting new technologies. And and you may have some real incumbent thought leaders who are just not honestly, just not as nimble as some of the smaller companies and startups can be. Mm -hmm. Really great points. So on this note of needing to pay attention because things are moving fast, I vacillate between being really optimistic about innovation and, and the ability of the world to decarbonize by 2050, because just we just don't know the great things that could happen. And then I can also be quite pragmatically pessimistic just about the absolute scale of our global energy system and the increasing demand for more energy. I'm curious where you land. What's your macro level of optimism about decarbonizing the global energy system? I do need a disclaimer. I'm a pretty optimistic person. You know, in general, right, uh, my better half calls me a golden retriever. <laughs> but I feel really quite strongly that these goals for 2050 are achievable from a technical standpoint, even financial standpoint. And it's really just a matter of will, right? And, you know, as you know, this is a political issue. And, and there's a lot of companies and communities and, and individuals that stand to lose a lot in this transition if they don't get it right, I think there can be a natural tendency to resist change. So I think those are problems we have to come over. But I think technically, we know how to do this, right? I believe at this point in time, we know how to make enough of a change to hit most, if not all of those goals, right? There's there are certainly some areas that are harder to decarbonize than others and to clean up, but we can do it. And I think it's a losing proposition to try to hang on to the past, right? And I think those companies... And communities that really just embrace the change and try to align with that are, are the ones that are going to do better in the end. I think some companies are playing a short game, trying to hang on to what they have, but in the end, I think they'll lose. And I think the ones that are going to do better that are, are seeing the writing on the wall and, and are embracing the change and, 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 and trying to be part of it. Gosh, that's a really interesting perspective. I haven't in my work yet parsed out the subtle difference <laughs> between being pragmatic and being committed to the past or using pragmatism as a reason to not embrace change. There's some very subtle lines there that are, are worth, I think, ex like continuing to explore in, in this work. 
but you mentioned at the beginning, you've been leading your company for 16 years, very fast moving space, probably the, in many ways, like my business, the space has grown exponentially around you. You are maybe a little bit ahead of your time. And now you're sitting in the middle of the action. How are you changing as a leader, a leader of your company and a civic leader playing this really important role? We learned a lot, right? We were two engineers trying to be businessmen when, so the company was started by myself and Chris Turner, and we really did not put a business plan together, but we had a mission and something we wanted to work on. So from that part, we've grown it. I think we've learned a lot on how to work and, and build those things and what sort of works and doesn't work. I think the things we've got right from the beginning, and it was probably more luck than anything, is just the importance of the team and the people around us, right? We we. Obviously, I'm going to talk up the home team, but you know we just have a really amazingly talented group of people that are really committed to this mission. And I think we got that one right, and I think we still have it right. Building the company around the people, we've had a, a lot of opportunities to pivot that might have maybe been more profitable, but it's not the type of work or it's not aligned with our mission. So we've kind of stayed true to that. So as a self-described golden retriever, or maybe you, you you don't describe yourself as that, but your partner does. What are you most optimistic about? Yes, she calls me a, a golden retriever, but I embrace it. <laughs> yeah. So what am I most optimistic about? You know, that, that I, I, I really feel we can get there. Guy, thank you so much for joining me today on the Energy Thinks podcast. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. This is fun. That's our episode for today. Thanks so much to Guy for joining me. One thing I found really interesting was having an engineering perspective that is so optimistic about meeting 2050. I think that guy might literally be the first engineer I've talked to who's like, yeah, we're going to do it. So that's really interesting and exciting, especially when you factor in some of the things that we talked in about the pace of change. And we didn't even talk about AI. So stay tuned. I'm sure we'll be hearing more about that. I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review us. It helps other people find our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our work at Adamantine, please visit energythink.com. I'd like to thank my colleague, Adon Rubio, who makes this podcast possible. Until next time, I'm Tisha Schuler, wishing you and yours happiness, prosperity, and good health.